Hi, everybody. Welcome to Lectures on Lacan, a podcast dedicated to clear, coherent, and accessible readings of key texts in Lacanian psychoanalysis. I'm your host, Samuel McCormick, Professor of Communication Studies and Psychoanalysis at San Francisco State University. Hope you enjoy today's episode. And if you do, be sure to like and follow us on Substack, Instagram, and all the usual places. Okay, here we are with Introduction to Jean Hippolyte's Commentary on Freud's Verneinung. Again, I believe this essay is of secondary importance to the essay that precedes it called Variations on the Standard Treatment, um, only because it repeats a lot of themes that are being worked out in that earlier essay in Ikri. Nevertheless, there's some new stuff to discuss here, especially around the topic of death, which not coincidentally is at the very end of this essay. So the essay begins with a discussion of resistance, which is very much reminiscent of the critique of ego psychology and variations on the standard treatment, which we've discussed. There's also some throwback here to his function and field essay on the role of empty speech as the opening song of analytic inquiry here on page 310. There's even this reference to empty speech unfolding longitudinally, radially, at the level of a musical score. Uh, really terrific stuff there. Again, though, you can read more about this in the Function in the Field essay, on which we've lectured elsewhere. 311 gets us back on the topic of empty speech, everyday discourse, even an, a throwback here, I would suggest, to Heidegger's 20s work, on Dasman and the different types of everyday talk that the they engages in, from Gereda, which would be like idle talk, um, to Altaglichet Rede, which means like um, everyday discourse, which might be a better translation of what's happening here in the middle of 311. And then we get some more references to the ego, and we get some stuff where he's reiterating things that he has said about resistance, namely that the resistance that occurs in analysis um, would be primarily that of the analyst. We've seen this elsewhere in some of his earliest seminars, again, developed more fully there. What I like about this essay and the most important part to my mind is on pages 316 and 317, particularly this turn towards death on 316. Now, again, this is a theme that we saw coming up in variations on the standard treatment, but I rather like what he does with it here. <clears throat> so he starts at the top of 316 with a reference to Freud's book, The Psychopathology of Everyday Life. Terrific text, particularly this example where Freud is trying to remember a certain name, but he can't. And the name that he's referring to is connected in his experience to the relationship of man and doctor to death, which Lacan refers to here about seven lines down from the top, death as the absolute master, Herr Signor. Freud had literally left his partner and so on and so forth. He goes down here and again is talking about the mastery of death, which is not coincidentally tied to the fresco of the ant 
Antichrist at Orvieto that Freud was trying to remember, you can go back and transfer this Signorelli passage um, into this paragraph of commentary that Lacan's giving and see what he's up to here. The point is that Freud was having trouble remembering this name because it's connected to death and themes of death are usually targets of repression. That death is something, to put it plainly, that we don't like to think about. And yet it's something that awaits all of us. In fact, it's one of the only things that universally awaits all human beings. Death. But we don't want to talk about it. We don't think about it. Nevertheless, it's the absolute master because there is no escaping it. To be human is to have a body. To have a body that requires care during the first formative years of its life. Hence the importance of psychoanalytic theory and technique because it's the basic philosophy of care. And all bodies, as we know, no matter how well they're cared for, and all care is imperfect, die. They perish. Here that theme is foregrounded. We're on page 316. We get to this notion of being toward death, which we've discussed in earlier lectures. This is a Heideggerian phenomenon, which suggests that you can imagine yourself on your deathbed, looking back on your life. And with this imaginative exercise, the tone of which is the future anterior, when my life will have been, you can make up your mind about how to act today. What kind of life is worth living from the vantage point of you on your deathbed? Because again, when you're on your deathbed, looking back on today, it won't be whether or not you went to work or whether or not you took the day off. If you took the day off, it'll be what you did with that day. Did you do something great? Did you do something fabulous, something memorable, something that in old life you would regret having missed an opportunity to do, so on and so forth. These are the reflections that this future anterior imaginative exercise of imagining yourself on your deathbed can allow you um, to undertake. It's learning to live as though dead is about learning how to live your best life here and now in the present. So Lacan cues this up toward the bottom of 316, and then he brings this very interesting theme. Hence, Death, the paragraph begins, brings the question of what negates discourse. Now, maybe what he means there is that when you die, you stop talking. But he wants to add something else. But also, death brings the question whether or not it is death that introduces negation into discourse. What is the relationship between negation discourse, and death. For the negativity of discourse, insofar as it brings into being that which is not, refers us to the question of what non-being, which manifests itself in the symbolic order, owes to the reality of death. Here are some things to bear in mind as you read this paragraph. When a child is born, the infant has what Lacan refers to a, as a fragmented body. Their experience of self, lacking all motor skills, is discombobulated, fragmented, disjointed, a mess. Babies feel like they are a mess. That fragmented body 
is a feeling we have towards ourselves that we carry forward all the time and usually trots out when we feel like we have failed artistically or athletically or just in basic motor skills like trying to put a cup in the cabinet and you break the cup and you just are frustrated that you can't quite get it done. We see this also as we've discussed in dreams, particularly nightmares where the body fails to perform in ways that we expect it to. These are all images of the fragmented body. But what Lacan says is that the child is so discombobulated when they're born that their state of existence is really close to death. Yes, they're at the start of life, but they have many of the attributes of someone who is dead. The fragmented body is the origin of life as a human being, to be sure, but it also is tinged with death. That's something important to bear in mind here. Also bear in mind that in the mid fifties, Lacan is referring to the signifier as that which engenders the thing, but also that which kills the thing. And part of what he means by that is that when you have a name for some experience or entity, that experience or entity now exists on two different registers of experience. There's the thing or experience or entity itself, not to be confused with the thing in itself, but there is the stuff in the world, and then there's its linguistic representation. So you know that at present elephants exist. There are actual elephants out in the world doing elephant stuff right now. There's not an elephant in this room, however, at least not literally. I can though with the word elephant conjure all that i can make present the absent elephant in this conversation and i can use with the word elephant language to trace an outline of presence around this absent stuff in the room there is no elephant literally in this room but by queuing up that signifier i can bring it here now here's the thing, I don't need to have an elephant in this room in order to talk with you about elephant stuff. In other words, all elephants in the world could go extinct, but we would still be able to do and discuss elephant stuff because the elephant as an entity and an experience lives on in language. That's the thing about language. It preserves at the level of the signifier something that is now allowed to perish. You can think of examples too of kids who grew up on farms with animals that their parents did not allow them to name. Naming also though brings an attachment to a thing. It makes it difficult to lose something once you've named it. So there's this ambiguity, this ambivalence in the signifier the name simultaneously allows something to die and us to preserve it at the level of the signifier, but it also attaches us to that thing, that stuff, and allows us to experience its death as a kind of loss. These are some things to hold in mind as you're reading this paragraph. Hence, death brings the question of what negates discourse, but also the question of whether or not it is death that introduces negation into discourse. 
More importantly is this last bit. For the negativity of discourse, insofar as it brings into being that which is not, refers us to the question of what not being, which manifests itself in the symbolic order, owes to the reality of death. All right, this is important because it is within the field of the symbolic, within the field of language, that that which not is, that that's what, that which is not, and the question of non-being can be asked. Language is the site of negation. We are, in a sense, as linguistic beings, inventor of the negative, the no. We have terms that mark nothing, a great one of which is the number zero, which Lacan also makes a lot of elsewhere. He talks about the zero of speech relative to life, and even toys elsewhere about with um, the symbol O for oxygen, indicating that he's actually referring to the zero that is a signifier that marks nothing. It shows you where there is nothing of a certain type. For our purposes, I want you to recall the primary function of language when it's introduced into the life of a child. Language introduced into the life of the child functions as prohibition. It's a big, fat no. And the no has a certain effect. It's a splitting effect. The child is now divided between not the world they had, which was Edenic bliss, and the world of language, which is life outside of the gates. That's not the case. What the child is split between is the part of them that, is, that remains embodied and committed to biomaterialistic necessity, hunger, heat and cold, needs for shelter, and this part of them that now exists in a sociolinguistic space known as that of the demand, that of the request, that of need expressed in language. And we're torn between these two. What emerges then is a gap or a cut, an irreducible divide between the biomaterialistic parts of myself and the sociolinguistic parts of myself. It's that third element that negated space, that difference that exists, irreducible minimum difference and distance required to allow me to have a foot in each of these spheres. It's that third element that greatly interests Lacan. This is another site of the negative, of the no, of the zero. There are ways that we can indicate and mark this space between two, this irreducible space between two entities that allows them to remain distinct is referred to as objea, object little a, the object cause of desire. It is a lack, a gap, a space that we can signify in the field of language, in the field of the symbolic, the same way that I can use the word elephant to signify something that isn't here. These are all ways that we can understand the relationship between negation, language use, and death. One more pass at it. The negativity of discourse, insofar as it brings into being that which is not, 
You can talk about somebody after they've died. You can bring them into existence, even though they are no longer. Refers to the question of what non-being, which manifests itself in the symbolic order, owes to the reality of death. We have yet to talk about this notion of the reality of death. All we're really talking about, and the main point to note here, is the way that it's within language that negation exists. There's a sense in which whatever negation and the no is doing in relation to death, it's occurring primarily in the field of the symbolic, in the field of language. And then Lacan goes on to discuss more stuff on empty speech, the tessera, the etymology of the symbol, from symbolian meaning to throw together or to cast together. And again, he's back on that non-being stuff. Whatever's happening with empty speech and the tessera and the symbol here on 316, there's a second dimension. This is the dimension from which alongside non-being the definition of reality arises. I'd suggest this is a great mystery in Lacan, a great place to begin working through what he's doing with death, negation, language, and the effect of language on the subject. Thanks for listening to Lectures on Lacan. Stay tuned for more episodes soon. A big shout out to the artist Jerry Paper for our podcast theme music. Thank you.